can't believe that you haven't seen it Love it so much you really gotta stream it Let me tell you every line right now I can quote the whole thing since I was 12 Maybe your mom told you no She said she wouldn't give you any money to go And that's why Movies we missed Hello, hello, hello we are back 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 again this is brandon greenhouse and my good friend jane tabitha hammer and you are listening to movies we missed a podcast dedicated to revisiting the films of yesteryear and you know we're not just revisiting we're, we're celebrating them as well and um i'd like to take a moment to just celebrate jane and her existence in the world despite all of the obstacles that she's been up against <laughs> mainly made by her but Nonetheless, we're going to rally around her. Can I speak for me or are you so Yeah, no, Jane, of course. Hey, how are you? I'm good, sweetie. How are you? By the way, thank you for the um, middle name rewrite. I always find it interesting. Like what what, you know, it me. just depends on today you were giving me Tabitha vibes. So. I like Tabitha. It makes me think of, um, gosh, I hope I'm right when I'm saying this, Bewitched. Is yeah. that mm-hmm. Tabitha? Okay. Yep. Yeah. That was yeah. Uh, Samantha and Darren's little girl who had the, the powers, but, you know, Samantha was always minimizing her, her greatness and suppressing it to make her husband feel better about himself. It's a statement, though, a little bit, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, a husband I who's constantly, like, stifling her. I mean, the, the premise of the show is her being a witch and, like, having these powers. I don't remember and for he dad. Marries, he marries her knowing who she is, right? I don't know that. That I do not know. I, I'm well, not sure. Well, either way, you know, he's stifling her from one episode to the next. Yeah, it's it's very, yeah, any of her powers and, like, it's always, like, some sort of to-do about, like, something she's doing and him wanting her to just be, quote-unquote, a normal, you know, muggle. And <laughs> her sort of, like, you know, trying to dim her light, but... You know, it's only so much one person can do, one magical yeah. person. So, yeah. I'm glad we can be culturally relevant when we do these intros. You know, when we talk about what's going on in our life, what Nick at Night specials we're talking about. That's not even Nick at Night anymore, <laughs> sis. Nick at Night Nick at Night is Roseanne and First Prince of Bel Air. I can't no, even talk about that. No, that's TV land now. That's what's happened there. It's been a gentle nudge. Um, how was your week? It was good. It was good, yeah. you know. What um, happened? Anything interesting? Um, a lot. A lot happened, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Me, the cats, Dave. Um, you know, it's all. It all happened. Mm. Um, Ricky, Ricky uh, sent me some messages. A good friend of mine and wanted a, a monkey bread. So I. Ugh. So For I those made. Of you a. You don't know. Brandon is like an incredible baker, and he bakes a lot of amazing baked goods. And it's so funny because I like always hear these stories up and Brandon like breaking baking cakes or you know monkey bread for Ricky, and <laughs> just for the audience, my doorstep has been empty all year. 
Mama, uh, you've never you've never texted me and asked me to bake you anything. I would absolutely I drop make you hints something. like a crazy person. How many times okay. have I asked for caramel cake or what's that? What's that? I got you. Like you didn't just get like you didn't get half a chocolate cake a couple weeks I ago. I did. But... <laughs> oh my god, he did give us half a chocolate cake, which we did. Eat. It was enormous, and it was the best chocolate cake I've ever had. I don't know. Thank you. It was so 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 good, and we had no reason to have half of it but we ate Tara and I both ate like an enormous piece of cake every single night for like a full week I love um, it it was Dave's birthday cake and he was that we, uh, we smartly got out of here yeah you guys got it out of your house instantly and brought it over here I have tweaked that the actual cake recipe though so it's even more moist now um, oh and it has coffee in it now as well. Oh, so psychotic. it's psychotically good. So yeah, so that's coming your way. I mean, you got a birthday coming up pretty Thank soon. You. So I'm gonna be so young. Anyway, should we talk about the movie? Let's this week? L- let's do it. I was the ass- <laughs> the assigner. Um, I bless Jane with a oldie but a goodie. Um, this is 1996's Shirley MacLaine opus, Mrs. Winterbourne. This was a bit of a deep cut. You know, obviously, we haven't released any of the episodes of this podcast yet, and people are... Clamoring. Clamoring. Salivating. I mean, the blogs, the... Instagram. Instagram sent me a message the other day because Mm -hmm. my my Instagram account had crashed because I've got (laughs) so many DMs. And they thought that I was, they thought it was like a Beyonce burner account or something. And I was like, no, I do know her. She's a friend, but no, no, this isn't, she's not a part of this baby. No, no, no. And the podcast will be released when it's released. So stop asking. This but is, it must be what Rihanna feels like. Everybody's coming for that does. album. It's Where's like, the album? Where's the album? Where's the album? I do feel like Rihanna most of the time for a number of reasons, but people are asking me, you know, what movie are you watching this week for the pod? And I'd be like, oh, I'm watching Mrs. Winterborn. And so many people were like, what? Or so many people were like, I vaguely remember that. But I think it's a sign. The disrespect, the disrespect and the erasure for our 90s talk show queen, who for a very brief brief period gave Miss mm-hmm. Winfrey a run for her money and <laughs> had one Miss Ginny Jones sweating in her in her boots too. I guess shaking Sally, in her boots would be the Sally Jesse Raphael could not be bothered. Couldn't get those glasses, <laughs> couldn't get those those focals on quick enough to see the competition coming. Phil Donahue was gagging. Mari Povich, you are not the number one host of te- daytime television. It was, everybody was getting a little bit, and it was from our girl. Go Ricky, go Ricky, go Ricky, go Ricky. I low did for real, for real. I did love Ricky Lake's talk show. Oh my God, it was such a good show. You, she always just seemed so like authentic, and I always just felt like she had such heart, and I know some of the storylines got really messy and grimy. I mean, uh, what didn't? What daytime talk show did It was really... Pro- daytime talk show was super problematic during this period. <laughs> I um, know. Not that it isn't. It Have you back. seen The View lately? But <laughs> my point is that... No. Uh, yeah. I don't want to hear Megan McCain's fucking mouth say anything. <laughs> yeah, and, and Whoopi Goldberg do this a lot. Okay, <laughs> so anyway... 
It was just me giving Jane a look, a, a discerning grimace. It was just a confused, okay, idiot, look. Yeah. yeah. And it is as blatant. The looks are as blatant as what I just did to you. It's not like Whoopi's known for like hiding her feelings, putting a veil over it. No, 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 well, mama. I don't Miss think e- you should be hiding your feelings when it's fucking Megan no. McCain. No, Does when she- you have an EGOT, you can if say your name, you damn please. Yeah, if your name Especially is Whoopi right. or Rita Moreno. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. give it or to the others. kids. <laughs> or others who have EGOTs as well. There, yeah. there are others. Um, so do you... <laughs> we have gone off the rails, as per usual. Kind of a brand. Um, but do you want to give us that hot off yeah, the synopsis? Yeah, I'm going to give you the synopsis that um, I have been working on. Um, in conjunction with Joan Didion. Um, so shout out to her, wow, baby shout girl. Shout out to Joan to really <laughs> sink her teeth into this. Right. With took you. a year. Took a year of magical thinking for me to get through working with Jane in this uh, podcast. <laughs> and not to be confused with the sister book, a Year of Magical Twinking. Um, <laughs> Which, I mean... <laughs> Which, what? You're going to want to clean your sheets after that one. That's what I'm going to <laughs> You're going to want to clean your house. You're going to want to move. Yeah, you're going to want to talk to your doctor for sure. So I'm ready. I'm going to give you a little Mrs. Winterborn for your nerves summary. Get into it. with it. New Jersey sweetheart Connie Doyle leaves behind the brokenness of her childhood home in pursuit of New York dreams. Soon after arriving in the Big Apple, Connie falls for a smooth-talking grifter by the name of Steve DeCunzo. Things appear to be going along swimmingly between the two, until Connie finds herself with child and is subsequently kicked to the curb. Turns out Steve wants nothing to do with her or his unborn child. A pregnant Connie is officially living on a prayer. And on the streets. <laughs> After sneaking onto a posh train car, a now nine-month pregnant Connie runs into Hugh Winterborn and his equally pregnant wife, Patricia. The young and wealthy couple take pity on homeless Connie and invite her into their sleeper car for a much-needed respite and casual conversation. All is going well with the trio until a freak train crash leads to mistaken identities. Hugh and Patricia Winterborn are killed in the collision, and Connie finds herself and her newborn son mistaken for the wealthy Patricia and baby Winterborn. Despite her attempts to correct course and reveal her true identity, she is soon welcomed into the family fold by Hugh's mother, Grace, and dodging the questions of his skeptical twin brother, Bill. Grace and Bill, never having met or seen a picture of the real Patricia, simply take her at face value that she is who she says she is. The more they embrace her, though, the harder she finds revealing the truth of her identity, especially once Bill's icy demeanor starts melting away and he begins to fall in love with Connie himself. Oh, and don't forget her no-good baby daddy, Steve DeCunzo, who abandoned her earlier. Turns out he's caught wind of her recent reversal of fortunes. Steve is willing to keep the secret of her true identity for a hefty price. Blackmail is the name of his game, but will Connie have the heart to play it? Will she reveal the truth of her identity to Grace and risk losing the comforts of her new life? Will Bill even want to marry her once he knows who she truly is? This movie begins with several summer deaths, but in the end, will Connie find herself winterborn? <laughs> that was that was beautiful. 
I love. I, I. I mean, that Thank wasn't you, so much read as it was performed for all of us. Thank and you. It was a performance that I would readily ask for an encore. This is from an actor that the Chicago Reader has called serviceable. <laughs> Brandon Greenhouse was in the play. <laughs> Moving on. Brandon Greenhouse showed up to several rehearsals and then was asked not to show up once the play opened. Oh, and not to be forgotten. Brandon Greenhouse was there, too. So moving on, the set design, it's just like, how dare you? But, I mean, no lies were told, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's what it was. Uh, but, yeah, so that's my summation. Uh, Jane, I, I mean, it's funny. This movie is not a very well-known movie, although I saw it as a young child, probably around, like, 11, and I fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, it gives us a rare, actually, a rare, although she did star in, you know, several John Water films, famously Hairspray, mm-hmm. her debut in 1988, Serial Mom in, like, 94, Cry Baby mm-hmm. with Johnny Depp as well, yes, like, Ricky Lake, it. you know, well, very well known. This, we obviously also mentioned her talk show that was on the air for, like, 11 years. So all of this is under her belt, but Ricky Lake never really got, like, a true... Mm-hmm. starring lead role in a movie. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking throughout this, too. It was like, it was nice to see Ricky in this leading role. I mean, <laughs> of are there problems? Are there things that I will bring up about the performance in the film itself? Of course there are, because this is movies we miss. I'm not going to miss a single detail. But did I enjoy myself without a freaking doubt? It was an absolute joy. But but one of the things I did want to say was that seeing a woman like Ricky Lake in a leading role who didn't fit the ideal of a a quote-unquote leading lady at the time was nice to see. I mean, I, I saw that she... I know that you can't have a converse. I mean, you can have a conversation about Ricky Lake without mentioning this, but I will say the conversation around Ricky Lake has consistently been about her size. And so when she was in Hairspray, she plays a larger... Tracy Turnblatt, yeah, right? Tracy Turnblatt, who's a, who's a larger teenager. And then she famously went through a ton of weight loss and weight gain, like publicly and talked about it and talked about her issues with it and all that kind of stuff. And I did see that she lost 125 pounds right before this role. And then, like, when she booked this role, they were like, P.S., we want you to lose another 20. Which is, I mean, just classic, you know? Yeah, I mean, it checks out. It it checks out as far as, like... Yeah, fucked up mindset of of Hollywood. But it's also really interesting to me because it's like... I mean, Ricky Lake is a certain type of actor. So it's like, Mm -hmm. if you're going to... And I also read that... Because I had to do some sleuthing to find any information about this film. It is not... There's a lot out there. It's not readily available. It's because everybody's jealous. But (laughs) I did stumble upon the fact that Ricky Lake was the first person cast. 
So like oh, wow. this cast was built around her, and she's wow. actually the one who who suggested they um, they reach out to Brendan Fraser for that wow. part because they were friends. But yeah, it is interesting. It's like, hey, we want you to be part of this movie, but why don't you change everything about about you? Like, why don't exactly. you change who you are though? So it's it's interesting that they were like betting on her in that way of like we mm-hmm. think that you are leading lady material, but which is also you know fucked up because people change bodies change but you know there's an actor or an actress who looks a certain way and mm. then they maybe go through some sort of like weight fluctuation weight gain whatever and then the studio sort of like wanting to sort of gravitate not gravitate that's the wrong word but wanting to sort of capture the essence of the thing that they were before famously right. like marlon brando then wanting him to lose a bunch of weight uh before apocalypse uh apocalypse now mm-hmm. and then you know marlon of course famously actually gained weight he was like yeah i'm gonna lose that weight for you and then he showed up on set <laughs> and was like get into this gig um y'all are gonna be doing a lot of lighting tricks bb um <laughs> which is something you know uh, probably a woman would get fired for but oh for sure or just taking out back and shot um yeah but (laughs) but yeah so so yeah no it is but i think that there's something to be said for like at this time i mean also Ricky Lake had a hit television show at this time, though, and that must be noted. I'm sure that's a big part of it. Ricky Lake, at this point, her show came out in 93, so that show would have been out at that point for about, like, three or four seasons, so it really would have been at the height of its, its, like, existence, really. Like, Ricky Lake was probably, like, peak popularity, like, around Mm -hmm. 96, 97. And you've got yourself, with her audience and her daytime audience daily, you've got yourself built-in promo as well. We're gonna do, I'm sure there were promo episodes like Oprah, you know, did with her movies that came out while she was she was on the air you get the cast mm-hmm. on it's great like yeah. marketing so i'm sure they were banking on that as well like synergy cross promotion for sure but business stuff which is like great yeah and like <laughs> i wish and again i'm not shading this movie because i really enjoyed it but i wish she had been the lead of like a better movie so she would have gotten more opportunities to be <sighs> i'm in not gonna there. i'm gonna take too much <laughs> more of this to tell you that <laughs> but you know what i mean Dare like, you? Honey, no, you I don't know what you mean, Mama. No, you know, you know, how to, you had to search for information on this movie. Oh, I did have internet, to internet because people people aren't talking about it now, and they weren't talking about it that much then. Well, the t- we're two people talking about it right now. <laughs> we are. I, I, I genuinely <laughs> love this film, and I know no, that there I are there are problems with it, but I honestly, I don't really know why it wasn't. The only thing I can think about it is that there's nothing sort of like flashy about this film it has like a quiet dignity to it i will say um here we go um the thing is i also think okay so i've experienced this too where it's like you bring one of your beloved movies to this podcast and to your best friend and you're like watch this movie and talk about all the things that happen in it with like a different eye than you know you're bringing to it and so you're like oh my god i never thought about it like that or whatever and so it's like kind of in some ways there's like a sadness to like seeing I mean not not really of course because it's all in good fun but you're like 
you know, there's a little bit of like, oh, no, I don't want this to be true about this movie that I literally love. Not that it ruins the watching experience in any way. You're still going to love it no matter what and anytime you watch it. But it's just kind of funny to, like, br- bring it to you and then see it through your eyes. I mean, I guess that's the whole point of this podcast. Yeah, no, it's no crossroads. I will say that. Um, but I will never live that down. But I will say that I think of movies, like, and, and re- rewatching it recently obviously for the podcast Mm -hmm. and I hadn't seen it in a number of years I did find myself just as delighted by it and it is still like because this is a type of movie that you put on when you're like home home from work and you're sick and you're like Mm -hmm. you know having your chicken noodle soup and Mm -hmm. crackers and it just it's gonna give you the full fantasy I I love it's got several experience it's there's a lot of hijinks so This is what I wrote as soon as I finished the movie. Okay. This movie has literally everything. An old Hollywood icon, a Hollywood heartthrob playing twins, a train crash, a massive misunderstanding which turns into a deeply held secret, a baby, a makeover, a wise homosexual butler, a low-class, high-class cultural mashup, a wedding, a murder, and ultimately a love story that perseveres against all odds. Like... Absolutely. It has everything. It's It's, I mean, it's Cinderella story which is what we which is like a trope that is used in rom-coms for a reason mm-hmm. it comes up time and time again and because we all feel like we all feel like the the rough around the edges girl and so we all yes. want to see her being welcomed into this family and like of course. you know elbowing her way in and taking up space and being like I'm here and I'm I'm willing to learn a little bit but y'all are gonna learn too so get <laughs> Get out your notepads as well. We're both taking. We're both going to be taking some notes. And by the way, you are going to be rooting for me every step of the damn way. You're never not rooting for Connie Doyle. Of course not. So should we? Let's dive in because we haven't even dived in yet. Let's do it, Mama. Okay. Let's go. Fuck it. Okay, so the first thing I wrote down was the first thing I see is Tony Robinson talking on the TV. And I was yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, that's an upsetting thing. I don't need to see. I don't need to hear from him. But I'm also, not your guru. He's not my guru, baby. He doesn't. Wasn't that the name of the Netflix special? Isn't that? It's called I'm not. I think it's called oh, I'm not know. your guru. I didn't watch a Netflix special because I don't need him. I didn't watch it either. I just okay. know what's going on. I can be aware of what's going on in pop culture without, you know. <laughs> oh, God, this Goodness. is all going to Here we go. Devolve. We're already going at it. She's messy <laughs> as usual, folks. First note. <laughs> so upon the first viewing, so when they, like, pan over from Tony Robbins talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, like, show Steve DeCunzo on the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not realize he was dead. <laughs> so did you not? Did you not real like even at the conclusion of the scene? Did you moving on in the movie and stuff? You didn't leave that scene understanding that he was deceased. No, I did not. It is. Well, here's the thing. Then the very next scene, it's Shirley MacLaine being like, "Well, first of all, it's the You're Boston right. cops coming up and being yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, we have we parked your car in Harvard Yard. We we parked <laughs> your car. We were in Westchester before this. Okay, and, first uh, of all." <laughs> Worcester. We were in Worcester. We were in Worcester before this. No. Uh, my, we were in Worcester before this. My partner had the wicked runs. <laughs> okay. We stopped at a. We stopped at a. <laughs> we stopped at a Seven Eleven. <laughs> okay, you sound like a combination between Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons. I'll take it. And okay. and and a JFK. 
Thank you. <laughs> All right, whatever lets you sleep at night. So, <laughs> by the way, for everyone, I am oh, from here Boston. We go. I'm just so you guys know. Write it down. I'm from Boston. I'm obsessed with people doing Boston accents in movies because they're always either really good at them or really horrible at them. There's Mm -hmm. kind of no in-between. The number one, and it pains me to say this, and I'm going to say it, and I'm going to put it on this recording of this podcast, and I think people know this. Are you coming for Lenny? Of course I'm kind of... I I know. I never want to come for Linny. I love Laura Linny with all my heart, but that accent in Mystic River should... (sighs) It should have never happened. There we go. We should have had someone step in and tell her like it is. Oh, I thought you meant like to do like dubbing. No, no, no. So she I just mean, like, like a lip-syncs? director who I think didn't like Clint Eastwood direct that. Yeah, I think they were probably too busy getting the set pieces out of Sean Penn's mouth that he, mouth that he was chewing up in that movie because <laughs> the scenery was destroyed by the end. <laughs> well, I mean, I just feel like it's someone who. Or, I know I flubbed that burn, but it. But if I hadn't gotten my words mixed up, it would have been savage, and you all know it. Well, here's the thing. I feel like someone should have just been like, you know what? Don't do the accent. It's okay. Not every. I'm from Boston. I don't have a Boston accent. Not everybody from Boston. There are Boston so accent. many times in movies where people are from places and they don't do the accents, exactly. and you just forget I, about it after a minute. You're like, I and got Lenny, home. and Lenny is so good. I, you know, I love everything she's a treasure. She's ever done. Anyways. One of my favorite actresses, yeah. So, <laughs> back to this movie. Which yeah, we we're talking about Harvard Yard. The cops, the cops show up. <laughs> the cops, cops. Okay, that's good. now you sound like the Grey Gardens cast. Really good. Yeah. Um, so, Boston PD shows up and they're like, ah, we're here about the matter of, uh, what's his name? Steve Steven DeCunzo. De- Steve DeCunzo. Steve DeCunzo. And um, Shirley McLean is like, oh, that's me. I did it. And then it's like, what? First of all, I did not know this movie was set in Boston, so I was very, very, like, <sighs> joyful. It just Who's your boy? Good. Who's your boy who loves you? How do you like them apples? Right? All right. <laughs> right? How do you yeah. like it? Yeah. I Yeah. Did you remember that it was set in Boston when you... You bet I did. All you right. bet I did. Well, and I'm so was... good at the Boston accent. I, of course, <laughs> wanted to do this movie. Call Kim Janey. There's a new man in town. Oh my god, this is gonna be an insufferable episode. <laughs> also, Jealous there's almost much? no there's there's almost no Boston accents in this movie besides the cops in the beginning. The and thing is with I feel like with most movies the Boston accents are like dicey and then they try and throw locals in to make it better. Totally, and then they're really bad actors. So yeah. it's like <laughs> You're getting like authentic they accent. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting authentic accent, but like very bad actors. And like inauthentic portrayals though. <laughs> it's like there's no way to like make that work. You need to get like Matt Damon or Ben Affleck in. Um but it was really nice. It was a nice surprise to see that this was in Boston because there are all these like there are all these shots. You know when she's like driving back from the hospital, um, there's all these shots of Boston. It's like oh. That's my home. That's how I drive to my parents' house from the airport. And I haven't been home since, like, 2019 because of this fucking pandemic. So it was- It's affected everybody all over the world, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when the city is... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know it. You know what song I, I was trying to sing? I don't... Oh, um, Adele, right? 
Yeah, that's right. My hometown. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know that song though. Apparently, um, I got through the first like three three words. I love it when the city is. in the city when the the sky is so thick and opaque. Okay, I'm I'm sorry. I've doing I've taken us off course. My apology. Um, <laughs> like at every turn, Brandon. What do you want to get the sun or no? The the um yeah no you're right. The cops show up and Charlotte McLean in full like mother of the bride regalia. Yeah, like, like a hat. She's standing in front of a church next to a priest, and she's like a tangerine oh. dream. <laughs> she's like, oh that murder. Well, you're not gonna want to talk to Patricia Winterborn because. Uh, I did it, or whatever she says. So she's like, exactly. oh, I killed him. And then, boom, you're in the movie. Um, and we get the backstory. Flashback to the flashback beginning now. To Ricky Lake. She's supposed to be 18, which is a very dicey choice for a 28-year-old woman. And she does not look 18. And you can close your mouth, because we both know it. Do you think she looks 18 in this movie, Brandon? Let me tell you what this podcast is not going to be today, okay? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. She does not. And the thing is, you don't want her to be 18 because you, if you actually thought she was 18, then like you would kind of be like, should she be marrying this guy? Like, it seems like this 18 year old has a lot of trauma to process, and like we need to, like, we wouldn't want an 18 year old leading lady for the film as a thing. That's that's the thing that you have to just swallow because throughout yeah. this movie she's like eighteen, nineteen, and there's so many ridiculous things that happen, and then at the end she ends up marrying Brendan Fraser, and you're like, how old is he? How old is she? How long have they known each other? The timelines are very sticky around these parts. Although I will say, if you're going to be eighteen years old and you are going to get married, marry an old money if you can. Well. Begrudge her. I'm just saying, like, you'll learn learning and being able to figure out and grow into womanhood with opulence and wealth surrounding you. That's a better look than the little struggle love situation, I'll tell you that. That's certainly a better look than it would be to marry Steve DeCunzo and have his child when she's like she gets so excited that she's pregnant and it's like baby you are i wrote that down too she moves to new york she leaves her dad's house she moves to new york like on her 18th birthday she says and her yeah. reasoning is that is her mom died when she was a young young teenager like i think she's 12 or 13 and she's nice. like dad and i just didn't get along and it's like mm-hmm. okay and then she leaves yeah. <laughs> penniless and goes to new york and like it's like you you need to meet somebody who wants to like let you stay like, with them because what was, what was the plan and she's like i was counting out She's like, I was counting out my money, and it's literally her with like a table covered in pennies and dimes. It's like she's just, literally that's not counting out anything. change on a diner table. Which, first of all, do not count your money in public. Did your parents never teach you anything? You do. Well, not. her mom died when she was young, as she said, and her and her dad didn't get along, so they probably never had the, you know, where to count your pocket change combo. I guess that's true. But if you're moving to New York City on pocket change, you need to figure out something out. Absolutely. She ends up. She ends up figuring something out real quick and she ends up moving in with like a criminal (laughs) yeah with a yeah a nefarious character Mm -hmm. and becoming pregnant with his child and then he gets like mad at her like kicks her out i i wrote down i was like okay you went to new york you had an experience it did not work out for you in fact it didn't work out for you so much that you are now growing a life inside you and 
your pride is too big to go home to New Jersey and be like, hey, dad, like, I know things are really bad between us, but I have absolutely nowhere to live and I'm pregnant. And instead of do that, you're going to sleep outside. I mean, sure. There are scenarios where it's never okay to go home. They don't they don't mention it. They don't say like they don't say like given how things ended with my dad, I knew I was going to get a door slammed in my face if I showed up if I showed my face in Jersey. Like they don't mention it at all. It's just like, okay, I'm living on the streets now. Exactly. And that's like implied that like she can't go home. But like, it's not for me as a viewer. It's not enough. Or like like, try. Or try, try at least exactly. rustle up the money for the bus show me yeah show me the scene of you showing up back at home and being like we just need that pov yeah. shot of her showing up and her dad slamming the door right. in her face it would have taken two seconds and honestly you know this is all happening yeah. in the first like five minutes of this movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. because i was like you really can't be on the street i mean the thing i will say though is we don't know how long she was with steve DeCunzo. she could have been with him for like a year plus you know what i mean like she 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 may be like 20 by the time she has a kid not that that's any better but I'm just saying like yeah. it's not clear how long they are together for but I don't know it I seems like they were together for him when him throwing her out and her saying two years and you're just gonna throw me out like this right. like anything to sort of like it is unclear to unmuddy up this timeline because yeah the whole movie this is just muddy as hell (laughs) sometimes a muddy timeline is the loose script's best friend though baby girl and sometimes some of them they know exactly what they're doing (laughs) and when things are quote-unquote left open for interpretation it just means we didn't think of that (laughs) yeah 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 a little what is it a little um a little fog in front of the mirrors for a minute just to get us from point a to point b so she's about to have the baby and she decides and it's like a rainy night in New York and she's about to sleep on a, on a bench and she's like you know what fuck this like Steve DeCunzo owes me something because he put a baby inside me and then kicked me out of his apartment he's a piece mm-hmm. of shit and Absolutely. we agree with that on every goddamn level and so yeah, she shows up at his apartment I love how she's holding like a wet newspaper over her head in the rain and it's like what is that doing? It is completely soaked. You are completely soaked. Stop doing it. Put it away. It's just like one of those details where I'm just like, she's not thinking straight or like people aren't using common sense. She's, um, you know, she's flustered. She's, you know, she's a life growing inside of her. She's, mm-hmm. she's Connie Doyle and she's mm-hmm. just trying to, you know, get through this, this Crazy cruel, cruel winter. So she goes and she like tries to ring the doorbell to Steve DeCunzo's apartment and he's like, get out of here. I'm not helping you. And like there's this blonde woman in his apartment who's clearly his new flavor, I guess you could say. And she's like naked except for I think wearing his shirt or something like that. And she's like, make sure you don't ever do that to me. And he like throws a quarter at her on the street and is like, there's the money. And it's like the most offensive thing you've ever seen done to a pregnant woman. It's awful. He throws, um, a, he throws a dime out the window. Oh, was it a dime? Oh, I yeah. was giving him the benefit of the doubt that it was a quarter. I guess it was Somebody a said, yes, but later on she says, he threw a quarter at you and I thought it was a dime. Don't even give him that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, she she said, what does she say? She says she turns to him, the, girl, the new girlfriend, watching this whole thing and she says, what does she say? You better not have a... You better never I, try I that on me. I wish I had written was, down the Yeah, I should have written it down. I, just, I wrote like, I, I just wrote down like a... I feel like it was like, it's you like, better not. I feel like it's you better yeah, not you try better that not, on me. Exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. a warning, but also kind of playful. And it's like, yeah. you Cheeky. see that happen and you're like, girl, 
you need to be a little more angry about the guy that you're sleeping with treating a pregnant woman like this. Like, or, actually, a- or ask a question. Yeah, like just one. But like, this is not a red flag to you, but I guess, you know, we don't expect the best from her. We don't know her. So yeah. anyways, Ricky moves on and she like decides to go to, I guess, the train station. She she goes to the train station. She's trying to get to uh, a local a shelter that she's heard about from uh, a homeless gentleman that take, you know, to take her in. She's, you know, nine months pregnant at this point. And... I'm well, sorry, I didn't I mean to, yeah. No, 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 that's okay. I, I do want to say that, like, the thing about this character, too, that is, like, so kind of fucking annoying is that, like, she is so goddamn rude to everybody, needlessly. And I understand, like, the trope that, like, New Yorkers or people on the East Coast and people in New Jersey are, like, rude, but she's, like, next level. Like... He asks her, he opens the door for her at the train station and, like, hold, like holds a cup towards her and basically asks her for money. And she's like, no, and is so rude to him. And I'm like, you are him. He is you. Why are you being so horrible to him? Uh, He's in the same position you're in and you're treating him like shit? Like, what, you want people to do that to you, too? I feel like it's sort of born from this sort of feeling of being used and abused. She meets Steve and she's sort of still like wide eyed and there's a sort of innocence to her. And I feel like it's a bitterness that sort of started to take hold of her after, you know, I mean, if she's telling him she's pregnant, I'm assuming that she must be, I would say around at least like like two or three months pregnant at the point that she tells him that she's pregnant, Mm -hmm. which would mean that she's been on the streets for like seven months, which is a long time. Like it's a a whole ass pregnancy, just being homeless. And she does talk about bouncing around from like shelters and things like that. She also says at one point, I I finally got kicked out of the Y and I didn't realize I kicked you out, but I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, You can't pay. They kick you out, I think. Apparently. So, so she's on the street and I think it's just that sort of like, angry at the world type thing but I do know what you mean because it's like she comes on hot with that like she does no yeah it's like girl that's the thing it's like it's almost like the gall of him to ask and it's like wouldn't you appreciate the kindness of strangers and she does later because the same guy tells her about like a good homeless shelter to go to and she tries to get to it and Obviously, she doesn't make it. She somehow is, like, shuffled on to the Amtrak train to Boston. Okay. And hold on. I just want to say. So, that, like, those crowds, the the crowd scenes are insane. The amount of frenzy that is happening with her that allows for her, like, the momentum of all, like, these scenes, clearly, it was just directed. Like, these actors were just told, all these extras, it was like, it's a stampede. Like, <laughs> this is Pompeii. Like, because, like, you are she, running for your life. These people are frothing at the mouth. They are erratic. And she is like, and people are just like, pu- like pushing. Uh, it is so insane. And she's and, so visibly pregnant that you'd think that. And like, everybody's just like crawling over her. And so that's what they're trying to lead you to believe is that within the, like, this sort of mad dash of people, like, her just trying to get to the subway, she gets pushed pushed onto, like, an Amtrak that's headed for Boston. That's, like, it's just so much. Which is the first thing that is, like, kind of entirely unbelievable. And, like, I did make a note. I was like, this is the world's most crowded Amtrak.
Amtrak train. There's never been a more crowded Amtrak station <laughs> in the world. Like, I I, I think it's supposed to be Grand Central Station, which is famously crowded, but, like, yeah. I, I, I don't think it's that. Like, I don't think the chaos is, like... And, like, everybody's exactly. like, we gotta get out of here. And, like, yeah. And so she gets physically pushed into this Amtrak train, and then the doors close, and, you know, it's just like, Whoa. And she's like, and, well, I guess I'm headed to Boston, as if there's not any stops in between. But, <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> That's a really and, good point. Like the next, the next stop would have been like in five minutes. The next stop probably was like I don't know New Jersey or something. Yeah, you're probably, which actually would have worked out for her in the end. Where I don't, I actually am like really bad geographically. I don't know if you t- whatever. I've never taken the actual train from New York to Boston. I've only taken buses or driven, so I don't actually know what is in between New York. And I don't know either because I think directions are boring, and <laughs> I think too. that. I think that discussing <laughs> discussing like cartography or trying to sit down with cartography. me and show, and show me like a map and how things are supposed to work. It's all really gross and it's all really just it's passe. It's over. I actually think that stuff is really interesting, but I just don't know it off the top of my head. And I'm a fucking idiot, so I think that goes. So you think it's interesting from a distance? <laughs> yeah. I think it's no, interesting. no, no, go like- off. Go off. <laughs> the embarrassing thing is, like, I grew up in that place of the world, and I'm not 100% sure how all the states are ordered. I mean, okay, gun to my head, if I had to take a test, I could figure it out. But I know... <laughs> figure it out does not mean pass that test, by the way. <laughs> I am it just means she can write some shit down. <laughs> I... You know what? Forget it. I'm, it's okay. <laughs> no, you've embarrassed yourself, mama. Um, no, I love you. Um, yeah, you're right. She's on the train. There's a there's a conductor running around collecting that fare, even though I don't know how you would in a situation. Also, It's so chaotic. How can you know whose ticket you've looked at? This train is full <laughs> to the brim. Okay? <laughs> There are and people. We do, we do find out that it's quote unquote spring break, but like. Oh, and we know all those spring breakers. <laughs> and that Amtrak. <laughs> Famously heading from New York to Boston, the stream, spring break capital. S- spring breakers are such trackheads, and they love taking Amtraks just for like fun. You know? Trackheads. Especially circa like 95, 96. That was a yeah. really, that was peak like spring break season to mm-hmm. like, for like, let's get on the Amtrak, <laughs> let's go to Connecticut, and let's just go the fuck off. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, it's a lot of people on a train. And, like, yeah. this poor conductor is, like, <laughs> apparently, like, you know, though, he's... Well, he's probably on her because she's on the train going... <sighs> and that's yeah, usually looking, the person you're, like... Looking suspicious as hell. <laughs> like, yeah, she's, yeah. That, like, one glance and you're like, oh, that woman doesn't have a ticket. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, she's literally been bathing in the rain because she's <laughs> drenched from top... <laughs> To toe? I could, yeah. I wanted a word that started with a T, and I was going to say oh. t- top to tough, and I was like, tough isn't a thing. And no. then I had this whole thing in my head about tufts and hoofs, and I was like, what? <laughs> what's a word? What's a word? That was toe. really what was going on. That's yeah, what... top to toe, I guess, but that doesn't have like the, that doesn't have the pizzazz I wanted. All right, well, you know, you workshop it and you go back to us. So then the train flips over and gets into a train crash, which, you know, starts everything and (laughs) next thing we know we see connie waking up in a hotel room hospital Um, room 
Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> a large difference between a hotel room and a hospital room. They just both mm. start with H. Um, <laughs> Who are you saying that for? You or us? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, also, I'm I'm sorry. I know that I keep calling everything psychotic, and I really need to stop using that language because there's no lean so into else. your problematic nature. <laughs> it's really problematic. I'm if if I do say it, like try to clock me on it. Uh, I'm gonna try to clock. Me. I'll just scream no if you yeah. say it again. And cool. that's how I learn. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> Connie wakes up in the hospital, and we don't know how much time has passed, but what we do know is <laughs> a fun nurse shows up, and <laughs> she is too much. This nurse is ridiculous. I don't know if you really, like, she's only in, like, two scenes, but she is giving it her goddamn all and she looks just like by the way like her hair and makeup are and like she I feel like she's giving like a lot of really creepy smiles and long stares and like she's getting very close to Connie in a way that I'm like is she gonna kill her it turns out to be fine but like she's also like doing this weird like southern accent sounds like she's auditioning for like fried green tomatoes but like i know they're definitely in connecticut because they mention it yeah no i mean you know her name's paula prentice um she was actually is married to the director of the movie richard benjamin (laughs) um i'm sorry (laughs) Um, yeah, so he, although I will note that Paula Prentice was a name before marrying him. She um, has been nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for a television okay. show in the 60s. So she's an icon. She's a legend. And she is the moment. Now, come on she, now. She, look, what we weren't going to do was get through this whole movie without noticing her. She, she was in Where it. the Boys Are in 1960. <laughs> she was in oh, The Stepford wow. Wives in 75. So <laughs> check Miss Prentice's credentials. Before I start spouting. She's an institution. Well, let me tell you, I noticed that institution. That's the character. I remembered every one of her lines from this movie. I will say (laughs) that. Yes. And and I didn't expect to, but I was watching it and I was like, oh, are we going to have a bad day? Because I was really hoping that we were going to have a good day. Yeah, it's she's definitely making what she needs to make of this part. Well, she put her stamp on it, and it was signed, sealed, delivered, and none of it was making it to the. You know, Richard on set, the director, her husband. You know, he was like, "Hey, do you want to try it simpler?" Nope. (laughs) And she was like, "Any any more questions before we before we film the scene again?" (laughs) If anything, Mama's amping it up for this last take. Go put on your seatbelt, baby boy, because this editor is going to have a job. <laughs> his, his or her work cut out for them. Oh, um, yeah. It's going to be fun making this a balanced performance. Anyways, they bring her her baby, and this is where she realizes, like, the mix-up is happening. And it says, like, baby boy Winterborn. And she's like, I'm not Mrs. Winterborn. But they're like, oh, honey, you're who we say you are. And she's very rude to the nurse who brings her her baby. In her defense, I will say, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, that moment where you wake up having the last time you were conscious, you were nine months pregnant and you wake up and there's no longer a baby inside of you and you don't remember anything. So there's a moment where she says, my baby, my baby, where's my baby? And the nurse comes in and she says, oh, the baby's just fine. And then she says, I want to see my baby. Bring me my baby. And the nurse says, we'll see what we can do. 
And I thought... And that's not okay. Excuse me? (laughs) No, what you're going to do is you're going to bring me my baby. Yeah, I've never known what you were going to do because I don't know you, but I can guarantee you I'm not a psychic. I'm not an empath, but the next thing you're going to do is watch your ass over to the baby ward and bring my child to me. (laughs) And put my child in my arms or none of us are getting out of here alive. Anyways, so we find out that Hugh, Brendan Fraser, and the original Patricia Winterborn is dead. They died in the train crash. You know, Mrs. Winterborn, Shirley McLean, calls her and is like, we're sending a car. And she's like, no, 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 no. And... And no one listens to her. It's like that classic total mix-up where no one will listen to the protagonist even though they keep, like, trying to jump in and say something. Like, if someone was talking to me about something and they were like, hey, wait, 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 no, 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 something wrong happened, I wouldn't just ignore them. I'd be like, what is, what are you talking about? Everybody, like, everybody just chalks it up to, like, oh, she was in this train crash, she hit her head, she's also just given birth in this rubble potentially like so it's very like oh like she, you know you can't trust what she's saying she's just another flighty rich bitch like we're gonna steer her right <laughs> although also like I mean don't threaten me with a life of wealth and opulence when I was the mayor of Skid Row before this <laughs> exactly like fucking Paco the butler shows up to like pick her up from the hospital and drive her back to Boston to the Winterborn save- Estate yeah to go say the Winterborn Estate and she walks out and it's like a Rolls Royce then she's like wait a minute and I'm like I'm my mouth would be absolutely zippered shut from here to the estate like I would very much be like I'll figure this out in a little bit after a I'll, couple good night sleeps a nice yeah. bath hopefully like a few silk robes tucked into my, my well you think bed. about it seven like seven months of you know being sort of homeless and like mm-hmm. struggling to sort of like piecemeal an existence together and probably like get enough food in your body to feed you and a growing baby and like just struggle and like not probably having a a nice warm meal not having a nice warm shower not knowing where you're gonna lay your head and like you were using a rock as a pillow last week (laughs) and like it's like i'm gonna see what this estate's about real quick though Uh and to her credit she like continues to try to like say something but she's just like let's just get to the house i feel like this is just turned into you being like (laughs) this is a mess and me being like no it isn't bitch Anyways, so she gets to the house and instantly she, you know, you see this estate. It's beautiful. You meet Shirley MacLaine at the top of the stairs, as you should. She's wearing amazing pearl she and diamond looks, she earrings looks gorgeous. with a matching brooch. She looks incredible. Whoever did the lighting, Shirley made sure they were paid properly because she looks incredible. She looks um, like Hollywood royalty. She looks she absolutely do, She stunning. does. And she is. And if all the money went into her lighting, then, like, it, kudos. because she's, she is, she's lit beautifully in this film. I mean, and she truly Not that is. Shirley MacLaine isn't a lovely woman, but the, no, no, but no. there are some shots where you just think, wow, she's she's she very beautiful. Stunning. And yeah. and you know it's the lighting. You can tell when a movie has shitty lighting, and that's Or, yeah. Movie. Or you pissed off the director, and he whispers to the cinematographer, like, give her the Warno, give her the Eileen Warnos treatment. <laughs> like, and you're like, oh, they're trying to make me a fucking monster in here. I see what you're up to. So, anyways... They're chatting or whatever, and then you hear a voice from another room. 
And it's a voice you recognize. And I instantly, as soon as I heard that voice, I was like, oh, okay. So Brendan Fraser had a twin brother. I knew it. Like it was. Did you? Yes, instantly. And before I even saw him, I was like, okay, yeah, I know what's happening here. Like, okay. I, I was, it was like, and normally I am not good at predicting things. Like, I think what I do is like, I'm so engrossed in watching what's happening. I don't usually think ahead. And like, I get really annoyed when people think ahead. Like Tara always like says her predictions out loud. And I'm like, shut the fuck up <laughs> because I don't want anything to be spoiled for me. But this one I knew right away. Um, but, you know, we meet Bill, who's a Hugh's twin, and he's like the, or we think the antithesis of Hugh. He's buttoned up. He's in a suit. He's kind of a dick. Um, he's very, he's very sort of, he's instantly a little um, apprehensive. He's skeptical. Guarded, good yeah. Reason. He's got a lot of, like, quips and, like, bitchy rich person things to say that are, like, mm-hmm. worthy of, like, Niles Crane. And I love them. <laughs> yeah, it's very, he's very, like, it's very haughty. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, let's, I want to talk about the, <laughs> the first sit-down dinner they all have because. <laughs> yeah, it's really, they want you to understand, like, that this girl is uncultured. Like they really first of all, she walks in and like the the priest is there and I don't know, I haven't been to a lot of dinners with priests, but whatever. And she's mm-hmm. like the thing is the first thing she does when she sits down, she's like meets the priest and she's just like, Hugh spoke of you so often. And it's like, girl, you know Let's not do any big swings. Like Let's not- I literally I literally yeah. said, chill with the big swings, keep it general. Yeah. Like, if you yeah. were going keep to those maintain ears this. Per- keep like, those ears perked up for and any speak details. when spoken to. Exactly. And keep don't it start- as quiet as possible. Yeah. Don't be like, oh, I've heard so much about you. First of all, what a weird thing to say to a priest anyways. Like, who talks yeah. about their priest at length? Well, so there's many victims like, who speak well, with their lawyers on the regular. And that is a different podcast. And one we are not qualified to host but that <laughs> she like just like she's never going to be able to keep up this lie about hong kong and like no you and well, when she and started she, talking about that wedding we air back to vague yeah it was exactly. it was nice real nice <laughs> paris france paris france i've heard it's nice <laughs> that's it <laughs> I understand that she's not refined, but like they really shove it down her throat with like the slapsticky shit that she does. She basically like at one point like shoves her sleeve into like a bowl full of like spinach slop. And she's like, oh, is that not something you're supposed to do at the dinner table? And like the server is like handing her like a dish of asparagus and she places, she takes some and she places it on her own plate. And then she basically like rips the dish out of the server's hand and like shoves it in the face of like the priest to like offer him and it's like why would you think that's the vibe clearly she's walking around the table offering this to everybody this isn't why a world she this? understands jane she comes <laughs> in know. with that baby on her hip and the woman that the um the maid comes in and tries to you know take the baby to lay the baby down while she eats okay. dinner and she's like what and she's like oh, the baby ma'am and she's like no 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 he stays with me he's gonna ball his head off if he doesn't have my tits on hand and <laughs> And it's it's just my, it's a really funny moment. It's and then so she says, funny. "Oh, I'm sorry, Father. Uh, breasts." And it just made that's that always makes me giggle a little it's, bit. That's that was a great line. That definitely made me lol. And he's like, yeah. "Oh no, tits are okay. Tits are okay." So that dinner is just a mess. And 
the veil is made of the world's thinnest fabric. She's not yeah, 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 well. girl. She is absolutely <laughs> implicating herself. She's making bold mistakes. Turn, and it's like it's like when you see someone just make mistake after mistake after mistake. You can't. It's like I can't even. I I can't help you. I can't yell at the television anymore. And if you're gonna try and pull off like a con like this, mm-hmm. like silence is the name of the game. Make mm-hmm. them think you're demure. You're very quiet. You're very shy. Mm-hmm. Keep those ears open and that and those eyes on the table <laughs> i and, know that like i this is so funny when i was thinking about this i was like i know brandon like hates this scene because i know you have thought about how you would do this so intricately <laughs> and, like, well i know i know what i wouldn't do and that's give <laughs> any more information than what is asked to me and even exactly. when they ask things of me i would still be holding my cards close to my chest because i don't even know what game we're playing yet <laughs> is it blackjack is it spades if it's black people it's spades i know that but i just i need a little bit of no i'm not mm, you got to catch me you are you are an observer first and a participator second exactly that has always been your thing because you need to know again what the name of the game is and that's in every scenario and i always actually admire that about you because i am well i'm not as fucking dumb as connie i'm definitely a person who's out there talking first which is which doesn't always suit me i'm paying attention to what's going on for sure but she does follow one of my rules which is in a moment where you are truly flustered and about to be pinned into a corner start crying (laughs) So, anyways, the next thing is that I guess they go christen the baby, mm-hmm. Hugh, who they name naming Hugh after the dead brother, which is very nice. Although, Connie's first choice to name the child is Cookie, which, you know, I was like, you're not naming your child Cookie. Dave so hated that, too, yeah. Dave did not enjoy I, the cookie. I and I told happy. him to get into it. When she first called him Cookie, he was like, I'm not loving this Cookie nickname. And I was like, I you better get into it. Because we've got a million more of those where that came from. We're not going to name <laughs> We're not going to name the child that. Totally, nope. totally. And if so, I was the doctor or the nurse at the hospital and we were filling out those that form, and she's and like, what's the, what's the baby's name? And she's like, Cookie. I'd be like, no. I'd be like, try again, sweetie. What's the, <laughs> what's the backup? Because I'm not putting that on this form. You want to take that one more time? <laughs> this kid gets to have a life. <laughs> um, so anyways, we're, we're at the christening, and who do we see in the audience but the iconic... Jane Krakowski. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I yeah, saw yeah. her and I got so excited. And I did you know she... that there was going to be more of her, or did you think she was just like in the crowd scene? Well, it's, so it happens right after, you know, you see her in the in the um, church in the audience, and then right after you see her again at the party. Okay. So I didn't really have time to think about it, Process but I was it, yeah. like, but I did write down Jane Krakowski. She's been booking since the nineties, and we need to respect her because she literally yeah. pops up in so many movies that you don't expect her to. Oh, that's right. This was before she was searching her soul tonight. <laughs> and this was before, obviously, the most iconic role. Well, you remember yeah. the you remember that line, right? Searching her soul. Um, no, I don't. I don't I've been her. searching my soul tonight. I know there's so much more than life. What that's, is that from? It's the theme song to Ally McBeal. Uh... (laughs) 
sung by sung by the iconic Vonda Shepard, who has of course some legit really good music out there. All right, well, guys, I guess we've it's got, she released like some you, really solid stuff around like the time of that. You and the women she of Lilith's Fair. Uh, shut up. She didn't get the shine that she deserved when she was out. Everybody was bopping that song, but when she released that album, when she released that EP, it was crickets. The disrespect is really what it is for me. But did they would? So anyway, so we have that moment, and then, um, you know, there was a moment where Jane Krakowski and um, Jennifer Irwin make fun of her outfit and, like, make fun of her look. So we know, and I knew, and you knew, and everybody watching this movie knew that we were just minutes away from a makeover sequence. She's very, like, they've got, she's very 90s Jersey, like, Mm -hmm. this. And also the thing, too, that's really funny is, like, somehow these clothes are really, they're not flattering on her, but I imagine them to be very, like, nice clothes. These are the real Patricia's clothes that were in the suitcase, like, they're nice clothes. I mean, they're maternity clothes. The thing is, is that everything they put her in in this movie, everything they put Ricky Lake in in this movie, even after the makeover, is an absolute shapeless sack. No. Yes. No. Bes- her wedding well, dress is... A, besides, that, excuse me, besides her wedding dress. She looks beautiful in that wedding dress. She looks and, beautiful in that wedding dress. And, and the also time the, they let her in anything form-fitting is when there's boning in it to keep her in. And also the purple, that purple corset that she's wearing at the um, wedding rehearsal dinner. I think I thought she looked really pretty in that. I need to see that again because I'm pretty sure it's like that lavender, was not a corset. Well, it looked like a, a '90s corset. I don't know, some designer put together. And then also, I like the moment with the white vest and the slacks that she's wearing too. She put her in like a white vest, and it's super like early to mid '90s. But I just was like, I really thought she was like, I thought she was hitting it with those looks after the makeover. Look, I didn't think the look was bad. She looks great, but they're obviously, you know, I I felt like they've made a choice for sure about like let's not put her in anything too. Perfect. You think so? Mm-hmm. She's so tiny though. Also, like that's the other thing is I that know, like she, I know she's so tiny, but she's not tiny in the way where she's real thin. For sure. I mean, but also I will say that like. I mean, fit on some of the stuff. 1990s fits were already problematic. Like they're very very loose and weird. Fashiony. (laughs) Those jeans. I'm sorry. I see people wearing them now, and I think. I know. Why does your butt? Not it. You're beautiful, (laughs) but those jeans is the reason we left those. You look beautiful, but that is not flattering for anybody at any point. But you know what? I mean, people wear what they want to wear, and I celebrate that. So one thing I was going to bring up is that we keep talking about how sickly Shirley MacLaine is, but she's never looked more fabulous <laughs> yeah. than she does. She looks amazing, and the whole and they she, keep being like, "She's sick," and it's like, "Is she?" And it's also like it's it's what it's vague movie sick. So like they don't talk about <laughs> what it's like at a certain they like they try to like steal drinks from her and like make sure she's not smoking. At one yeah. point later in the movie, this is actually such an iconic move. She's sitting on the couch smoking a cigarette. Oh, I love that. It's so good. So like. It's- Ricky, so like, walks up behind her and she's like, is someone smoking in here? And she flips the lit cigarette into her mouth and tries to pretend like she's not. Could you do that? Okay. Would I you be mean, able to do that? 
I don't know. I have never tried. I think it would be disgusting. That's like, um, but that's like a move you have to know how to do. Like, you don't learn that, right? Well, like, also, I mean, yeah. So for the audience, like, she's almost done with her cigarette. It's like, yeah. There's maybe one or two drags left. Yeah. And she does like, I, I don't know. When I used to smoke, I never had the need. Well, you've to never had to like tie your cigarette in my mouth. It's a great I, moment, though. <laughs> it is such a good moment. The, and like, why would that be the thing that you would? think to do but honestly the other thing I'm here for it I'm sorry the other thing I was going to say that I appreciate though about Shirley MacLaine it's nice for me to see her just be like sweet and delightful because I get so used to seeing her being sort of stuffed into those other parts that it's interesting you know to see her well I emanate just love I have some thoughts about that because throughout this whole movie her character who is this like very kind rich older woman (laughs) let's absolutely everything go. She has no, like nothing is upset. Nothing. Like she doesn't take any time to process anything. She just is over it as soon as it happens. So like, first of all, she's spending a lot of time in the beginning of the movie, like convincing Bill that this is Mrs. Patricia Winterborn and we just have to love her (laughs) and accept her as she is and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's nice. It's a change certainly from like this trope of like an evil rich old lady she's quite nice and quite welcoming and loves her grandson yeah but then when like you know the package starts to come undone piece by piece and she's finding out new information and she's uh, you know as this is going on she's like fully fine with it and like the first thing that i notice is that like bill and ricky like fall in love they end up dancing the tango in the kitchen and like kissing at one point and then Bill is all flustered and tries to go home and of course like runs into his mom you know he's like oh I don't know like this is so weird is this okay she's like (laughs) of course dear like this is fine you know whatever it's not a big deal like I feel like she's so okay with like the idea that her son is dating her dead son's widow Widow. and you know Hugh is still like warm in his grave (laughs) and she's like eventually we're all gonna have to move on and it's like you lost your baby yeah it's yeah there's fine so um yeah so where were you gonna take us (laughs) I want to talk about if we're quite finished here I would love to talk about Paco our gay icon love Paco love Paco I knew when I first saw Paco show up on screen I was like he's gonna be the person who finds out who she is first and they're gonna share this secret that didn't happen it was like that I I, that was my prediction and I love how I'm saying I don't predict I don't predict things because I like I mean moment i feel like everybody just, I does i don't you can't think help that's it. true i think i think what my real truth is and i'm admitting this here on this podcast and you know it's being recorded forever in posterity good. That <laughs> i am not good at predicting things so i pretend that i don't do it but if i am right i'll say it out loud but okay. Tara, Tara is very good at deciding or predicting where a story is going to go. When you say if yeah. I'm right, you mean that you mean so you silently sort of maybe to yourself be like, oh, I feel like. But then once it happens, you'll be like, I knew that was going to happen. Exactly. OK, fair or, enough. Yeah. Or I do I, that, too, I think. Or if I'm really, really confident, I'll say it out loud to Tara. But 
I'm not always confident. And Tara is really good at predicting and it really bothers me. So I try to keep it to myself as much as I can. But anyways, we love Paco. Paco is like their like surrogate dad kind of. Yeah, they they mention it on multiple occasions. And also when they're looking through the when Grace brings up the photo album um, to Connie and she sits with her, um, there's a photo of the twin boys and Paco. And it seems like from, you know, looks like from the 70s. And it seems like like he is and basically what Bill says, like, you know, their father was busy running a company and he wasn't around a lot. So Paco Mm -hmm. was Paco taught them how to tango. Paco taught them, um, you know, different sports and things like that. So Paco is definitely like a member of this family. And we find out later that Paco left Cuba because he wanted to live authentically as a gay man. And mm-hmm. this this family loves him and celebrates him as he is. I do love and that. that. I love that scene. I love that. And, and Paco says that to um, uh, Connie, Connie yeah. as she's trying to leave because she feels so bad about lying to everybody. And she's scared that she's going to be found out. She gets like that ominous um, letter that says on one side, it's a note card and one side says who are you and then on the other side it says it says and where and whose baby is that that's what it says yeah and whose exactly. baby is who that who are you and whose baby is that I actually wrote it I was like why would you send that with like no place to like respond I mean I understand it's just to scare yeah. her but but, like, all, but yeah but like you're not asking for anything you're not you haven't started a, an extortion of any sort you exactly. haven't even said like you know more you know there'll be another one after this or like anything well, to let her, yeah. I thought that they were going to continuously like show up so that it was like a scare ca- tactic to be like, boom. <laughs> well, what's your also what's your plan if she did leave? Like, then what were you going to do? Because you exactly. don't you won't know where she is. Yeah, right. I know. It, but it got it one of those. I'm sorry. But it is. No, it is Steve DeCunzo. So you kind of For are sure. like, well, he's did you know it was did you know it was him in that moment? I did. Uh, no. no. OK. And I, I wasn't sure, but when they reveal it later, it's like, okay, well, he's not that fucking smart anyway, so that kind of tracks. Mm, yeah. Fucking so stupid. I was, like, able to be that, or to understand that, but... I love so, a high drama moment like that, though. Um, but but you're right, though. Like the she the the letter comes, um, she mm-hmm. sort of slips out. She has that moment around the door, like right around the corner from where she was just at, where she opens it and she's like, <sighs> and I love those moments in movies. I love the heavy breathing and the looking over your shoulder to see who saw. And um, she, she, like tries yeah. to read it in secret and has. And then she she takes off for the bus stop. And I mean, also at this point, you know, the whirlwind romance with her and Bill has happened. He's proposed to her in a very sweet scene the, um, I I love that scene where he so like cute. shows up with all of those flowers and he's just like very sweet and she's like I, I gotta leave I gotta leave and she doesn't really tell him why she has to no. leave and also like I'm watching this and I'm like don't leave like what is wrong with you you literally have nowhere to go you literally have no money like maybe if you really do want to leave like set something up make a plan don't like go out in like the middle of the night and just like hop on the train she's like waiting she goes and waits at a train stop which by the way she takes the commuter rail which is a train I used to take every day to go to school oh flat girl I mean <laughs> so that was fun to see we I call don't... her old money hammer okay I just I'm not 100% sure why um maybe we just call her old hammer 
Maybe that's it. <laughs> and maybe we don't. <laughs> uh, maybe we strike that from the record instantly. Put it back on. <laughs> but no, that scene, you're right. The scene with Paco is really sweet. And yeah, like, there's and so that. Paco yeah. is like, he's mm-hmm. like, you're as much of a winterborn as I am, which is like very sweet. And he also and that- says, if bad things are going to happen, let them happen here. Which is really, I think, all of our thoughts is, it's like, yeah, girl, let it happen in the palatial estate of these wealthy-ass people. Exactly. That's what I wrote, too. I was like, look, if you are going to go through it, do it in wealth. You yeah. Know? Do it Such in... Such a good idea. Do it while draped in, like, organzas and silks, okay? <laughs> Like, it's so insane. And also, you're the only one who's, like, having a problem. Everyone All- else is fine with everything that's happening. Also, Dave pointed out what that moment where she gets a letter and then she runs off. And Dave said, he was like... What, she says to Paco when Paco shows up she's like no I'm leaving and he's like you, you know why are you leaving and she's like you wouldn't understand like things that, that things in my past that would destroy this family and Dave was like what like what <laughs> yeah. do you have in your past that would destroy them and it's like you're right it's like she she hasn't done anything it's like she killed anybody or she witnessed a murder or something no. like she's not like she state's evidence uh, the only thing that she did is just she took advantage of a situation that made her life better. Yeah, but it's not going to destroy this family. It may create fodder at the country club or like a little bit of like hushed banter when she enters a room. But like, so so the fuck what? They're talking shit about you before anyway, girl. Like, exactly. Let it be. Let it be the truth. Yeah, but that but that is like a huge statement to make, and it's also not accurate. <laughs> it would destroy this family, and also they've they've proven themselves to be quite like resilient people. Um. Um. But yeah, and there's that sweet moment with her and Shirley MacLaine, where Shirley MacLaine mm-hmm. basically is just like, you know, fuck everybody. Like, I didn't fit in. Be I you. Made that fit me, which was nice. And then she one. says, "And don't you ever take that baby away from me ever again." Mm. That's really sweet. Mm. It is really sweet. And then I guess this wedding is going on without, <laughs> without a hitch. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And nobody is, nobody's talking about revealing the truth. At least not Ricky or Connie. Yeah, Connie's not worried for some reason about the wedding of the century that she's about to be the bride in. I'll tell you how I know she's not fucking worried. (laughs) This was the most unhinged part of it for me, was the reason why Steve DeCunzo knows who she is and where she is is because she posed for a spread in People Magazine (laughs) as Patricia Winterborn. And, like, People Magazine is, like... (laughs) <laughs> like the one of the most popular magazines in the entire world especially like, like mid 90s especially mid 90s like everyone got people magazine yeah and it was like <laughs> like you're trying to fly <laughs> under the radar and you think let me pop in and do a quick like <laughs> spread for people it's an unhinged idea and you need to have you need to have come up with an excuse why you couldn't do it but yeah not yeah funny. no like oh i don't like no i don't want to be i've already lost you i i don't want my baby being i don't want the prize i'd rather i'd rather having... have this be more of a quiet affair since it's my second wedding and my first husband died in a fucking train crash yeah, I'm still... I had to learn how to walk again. I'm still... 
I'm still piecing together what forever is going to look like for me. And it's not what I thought it was a couple months ago. I can tell you that, dearie. Although, strangely enough, the groom looks the same. She says something like, twins. Another one of God's cruel jokes. And she saunters out of the room. That's also a moment where I think, like, how rich are these people? Like, I know. And how famous are they? How famous are they? Because they're not quietly rich. If, like... no. If, you're if they're people. posing in People magazine just for like a what sounds like a wedding announcement. Yes. Absolutely. It's like we want the world to, it seems like some Hilton level shit. Like Absolutely. Oh yeah, it's a big yeah, you're right. That's like it's a huge thing to then be like, how'd somebody find me? <laughs> and to be surprised that Steve DeCunzo shows up at your rehearsal dinner and threatens you and blackmails you, that's on you, baby. I uh, hate to be I hate to be a victim blamer, but <laughs> But you when... you love it and it's a it's a outfit that fits you well. <laughs> you know, putting yourself out there in that way and like what's your thought process that like nobody I know because it wouldn't just have to be Steve DeCunzo. So it could literally be like anyone you went to high school with or anything I, being like, absolutely, Patricia, anybody can blow up your spot is what it means. Your father, who yeah. apparently isn't that good of a guy. I'm sure he would come around knocking. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're going through with this wedding and yeah. <laughs> Steve like decides to blackmail her and so she has to go like visit him in his hotel room and it's the or sorry i should say motel steve did not speak for a hotel she goes there he tries to blackmail her and then she goes there like she takes a fucking gun i i guess there's like a gun cabinet that is unlocked at yeah house? but they all but they were also old ass guns they look like display pieces they didn't look like actual firearms like you know what i mean like so i i guess in my mind i I was surprised that the gun had, like, bullets in the magazine. That was the thing that surprised me. I was like, is, oh, it's like, what, is, what do you mean in the magazine? What does that mean? Isn't that what it's called? I have I no really idea. Know. I'm asking. I think you. it's like the, the, the yeah, the okay, thing that so comes out nice. of the, yeah, the thing that comes out of the handle where that's where that holds the bullets. Because there's a moment when mm. she goes to the hotel room. Steve DeCunzo tells her, come to the hotel. He's basically like, I'm going to. I'm going to blackmail you. Um, he, he asked her for a check for $50,000. And of course, as a viewer, you're like, there's no way this guy's going away for 50 k so, t- so he takes the check and then he says to her, okay, that's not going to be enough for me. I want a million dollars. And she's like, I'm not doing that. And he's like, well, he's like, this is what I want you to do. I want to set up a kidnapping where I kidnap the baby. We stage it. Then I say, then I r- ransom the kid for, for a million dollars. And she's like, I don't, I'm not going to go along with that. And he says, well, if you don't, then I'll just tell everybody that you were part of it. I do have a check from you for $50,000 that you just gave me. So you're screwed and you're in on this now. And she leaves and then she ends up coming back later that night. And then when she comes back, he is now, she discovers him to be dead already in the hotel room when she gets there. And the gun goes off because she's startled. <laughs> Bill comes write. in. I did write? write. She sounds so dumb having this conversation with oh, that it's, dead body. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> she sounds so stupid she's like all right enough of that and it's like there's just something in her voice i love i love ricky lake 
as I've mentioned Me several too. times in here, Me there too. are a couple moments in this movie where it gets very like <laughs> New York theater. And that's one the, of them. The, def- perfor- the performance is iffy in spots. <laughs> and there are points. And I think that like, I mean, not much unlike uh, the Jennifer Lopez symphony that was enough where she's like, I'm your wife. I'm your wife. Exactly. It's like those moments where like emotion gets like a little bit heightened and like sometimes the performance becomes a little bit less anchored um, as a result yes. of it. And yes. so there are those moments here where she's like, all right, stick them up. What do you got? What do you got? I'll show you. And it's like, it's very like, it gets a little pulpy and it, it, it gets it a little inconsistent. Um, we're not on solid ground we're as far as like, ground, but, but, but we're trying our best. And we're there with her. And I will always be her. in the corner going, go Ricky, go Ricky. We also didn't mention Ricky appeared in the iconic documentary the business of being born and you better believe i've seen it several times and i don't know why i've got no skin in that game nor will i ever but (laughs) i'm fascinated by it you know what you do have skin in that game because you have people in your life who have and who will give birth that you love dearly oh oh yeah and i love and i and i'm fascinated by you know childbirth and all of that absolutely it's incredible I do actually want to reveal that there was a time that Brandon came over to my apartment a few years ago, a handful of years ago, um, and he made us watch like a bunch of different animal birth videos on YouTube. <laughs> do you remember that? No, I don't. So it didn't happen. <laughs> you don't remember that? That is bullshit. It was on the. It was in the apartment that I. It was the studio apartment. I vaguely remember it but uh i I don't remember having to try too hard um i think i knew exactly who my crowd was and i think i i gave them just what they wanted look we we absolutely were like screaming while watching it it was a very intense series of videos but we we weren't saying no you need to know where you need to know all parts of the circle of life, Mama. But yeah, so there's this moment where you know the gun and everything, and then Bill runs in, and you know he and he checks the mag, he pulls the magazine out, and I thought like it I seemed like believe, she grabbed. I can't believe you know this gun lingo. It's really but but I also want it's because I watch so many true crime documentaries. But I also oh, want to yeah. say she says like I didn't know there were bullets in it, and it's like you should have checked if you're gonna come in the room and put also, your finger even like even just menacingly on the trigger of a gun you should know if there's a bullet in it or not what's the intention there like why did you go there with a loaded gun or i guess with a gun at all what did you think you were gonna do i think in her mind she was she thought she was going to scare this guy away but it's like i could tell you he's got nothing to lose and you would not and you would have had to shoot him and he is so arrogant i'm sure he would have thought he could have arrogant and also combative um but yeah so all that happens and so now we've got a dead body she didn't do it a bill says he didn't do it and they're sort of like let's get out of here and then there's the moment where connie starts like frantically looking for the check right before they leave because she she was there earlier and she left the fifty thousand dollar check she can't 
find it. But the thing is, she doesn't even tell him that's what she's looking for. He's like, come on, let's go, let's go. And I was like annoyed because I was like, tell him you wrote him a check because you need to find that check before you leave that hotel room. You know I watch enough crime stuff to know that if that check is in that room, it's going to be found and she's going to be the first person contacted. So it's like, you don't have to reveal exactly the whole story right now, but you need to be like, hey, we're both on this right now. I wrote him a check. I'll explain why later. Let's all look. And so I was really annoyed that he made her leave the room. Well, several things, though, because I would have also said when she's looking for it, she goes into the the lapel pocket of his jacket where she saw him put it. It's in the envelope that he put it in is there, but that's not. But Mama touched that envelope and then dropped it. And I thought fingerprints. But I also what the, the best case scenario for her, I think, would have been to take her checkbook destroy it and be like my purse was you know a mugger grabbed my purse while I was walking the baby in the park or my purse fell over in the hustle and bustle at the park the other day I thought I grabbed all the items there were a lot of vagrants around and it's possible that one of them um, one of them got their hands on my on my checkbook you know how they are and <laughs> then i headed straight back to the estate i i don't know i'm a i'm a wealthy white woman i, I don't have all the answers exactly and she would have been believed instantly yeah and they would have been like oh yeah you're white um okay so anyways this is after this is like where the big reveal happens where she tells bill who she is and I'm so relieved because I'm just like, you all were going to walk down the aisle tomorrow and make this official without having, first of all, I have a lot of, I have a lot of stipulations about how that's entirely impossible, but we'll get there. She's like, I've been lying to you ever since we met. And his response is, you don't have to tell me, honestly, I don't care. And I'm like, why the fuck? Not like I understand that you like her. You could be like, well, you could be like, I love you, and you could also in your heart think to yourself, like, nothing that this person could tell me is probably going to change my mind. But like, I still want to know who I'm marrying. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Which is why I'm like, I can't understand why you don't want to hear what she has to say. Yeah, or where she's coming from that she was willing to sort of like strip herself of that of where of whatever her true identity was in order to like be a part of this world like you're willing to sacrifice all of that and walk down the aisle and marry me and like under these false pretenses so it's like yeah you're right I mean and then like he reveals to her that he knows that she's not who she says she is and then she gets mad at him and I'm like, girl. She gets mad at him because he's known this entire time that she was lying and he hasn't said anything. And she's been like I know that. racked with guilt and like all of the stuff that's happened and her running away and Paco bringing her back and all of this. And it's like, I've been going through this inner turmoil and like you could have like at least, you know, alleviated some of it. I'm sorry. But, but I mean, they're no. both lying. But they're both lying. Yeah, you're right. I mean, well, they're both she's, lying. She is the one at fault in my eyes. She's the one who's lying. Like he has this information and he maybe, maybe this isn't like the, this isn't how I would handle it. I mean, maybe let me finish. (laughs) I wouldn't handle it this way. He keeps shum, doesn't say anything waiting for her to reveal who she really is. And 
okay, fine. That's his prerogative. It's not necessarily morally, like, on... Like, I don't think that's, like, the best thing to do. But she is the one who's pretending to be someone else and duping the family. So, like, she doesn't really have the right to get mad at him because because he's also giving her a lot of grace, too, and being like, look, I love you for who you are. Even though I'm, like... You don't really know who she is. She's technically at this point a pathological liar. I think though, in her defense, I will say that in her mind also it's like, if you had come forward and told me that you knew this, I would have never had to get intertwined with Steve because he would have had nothing to hold over my head. And I wouldn't have been in that hotel room dealing but with why the dead is that body. On him? I'm not saying it is on him, but I'm just saying right. in the heightened in the the heightened emotions of the moment of having just seen a dead body and been in the room and particularly potentially compromised yourself by like, you know, this check and all of this and her being pulled so much further into this than mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. But also in another world where that happens, then Steve would have probably totally failed. But probably pull, he would have pulled some other stunt. He would have tried to get, ha- you know, partial custody of the baby. He would have mm-hmm. made himself a part of their lives. He would have never mm-hmm. gone away. He would have, you know, he would have found. You don't any- think Bill would have found a quiet way to get him killed? Maybe, maybe he would have found a way to sort of like, you know, just put a period on that sentence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so here's the second point. That a good hobbling sometimes will do it. <laughs> a good hobbling? Yeah. It's a good hobbling. like To hobble ins- someone. Okay, so like to ensure that he is like injured enough so that he doesn't come back? Is that- oh, well, I guess a uh, definition of a hobble is is typically... Oh, no, that's not what I mean. I mean like... I mean verb, not... Let me see. Hobbling... To hobble, walk in an awkward way, typically because of pain. That's not, yeah, this isn't what I mean. Tie your strap together, an awkward way of walking. I mean, to make someone walk awkwardly. What does it mean to hobble someone? To cause to limp, to make lame, to cripple. That's what I mean. Okay, so you mean (laughs) to hurt him so that he doesn't come back? Yeah, but don't kill him. Okay, right, right. But introduce him to trauma. (laughs) And be like, within an inch of his life. So and then just be like, it it could be <laughs> it could be less cute than this. Remember that next time. <laughs> and then throw up that W for the Winterborns and you know, see walk away. <laughs> well, problem solved, I guess. But this is why okay, so this is this is now we're now we've arrived at the wedding. The wedding between Bill and Patricia Winterborn slash Connie Doyle slash Ricky Lake. And they could never have gotten this far down the aisle without it having been revealed who she is. How? You have to, because you have to apply for a marriage license, and she probably does not have identification. As you don't, rich people get this shit. Rich people make things happen. They would have found a way to get her an ID. She probably got an. Probably would have had a new ID mailed to her. They probably took a picture at the estate and sent it off, and were like, figure this out. All right. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how the other half live, apparently, because to me, this sounds impossible. But I impossible. Guess... <laughs> All right. I'm but it's like we're going to it. where it's like we're going to try and like get a hold of your license from Hong Kong. It's like, oh, yeah, that was in I the rubble. Think... Of the, that was in the rubble of the train. 
What about a passport? Wouldn't she have an American passport? The passport was destroyed on the train as well. Maybe you can find it in the ashes of the flames of, you know, my deceased husband. (laughs) All right. Are you done asking me questions, detective? (laughs) Okay, well, I guess we're at the wedding. He forgives her so quickly. It's just, you know, it's... it's, He loves her. There is so much forgiveness in this movie. They love her so much. They overlook every flaw that she has. And they like, and it's like she tries to find ways to make them like distrust her or like maybe not want to be part of the family. And they are like, it's like Teflon. They are just like, nope, nice try. We don't care. You're part of the family. We love you. Like, we love you. We respect you. We're bringing you into this fold. (laughs) Oh my God. We didn't even talk about the will. That's like, oh yeah. (laughs) Shirley McLean like brings her down at one point and she's like I'm gonna add you to my will and she's like no she's like she's adamant like no don't add me to your will and that's the moment I think that was the moment after Bill found out that she was Connie Doyle and he was gonna reveal that and then she comes in and then in that moment he's like she's pure goodness see I the note that I wrote about that I was like that would make me more suspicious if I was Bill I would be like Okay, um, she she knows that I know or something like that because there's no way she's not after this money. <laughs> but and Bill and I like, are different no, people. You are. And, and so anyways, so now we're back to the wedding and she get they they're they're going through with it. They're gonna get mm-hmm. married. But before they get married, they have to talk to the Boston police. The police show up, and they're like, Steve DeCunzo's dead, which you guys already know. (laughs) And um, Shirley MacLaine is trying to take uh, credit, or trying to take the blame, and then everyone else runs out and tries to take the blame. What did you think? What did you think at this point? What did you think? Who did you think had done it? Well, I thought it was Paco. (gasps) Oh! Yeah, because they do show him in the Rolls Royce outside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I also knew that like he's always one step ahead. He rides or dies for this family. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe Shirley McLean or Grace had figured something yeah. out. Dave thought that she had done it. That and sent, that and Shirley sent Paco. Yeah, sent Paco to do the dirty work, and that she was claiming responsibility for it. But what I did notice is that like all these rich white people confessing to murder. And it's like supposed to be this like hilarious scene, but it's like I feel like they're not like fully considering the consequences of confessing to a murder. Like that's life imprisonment, baby. Oh no. It you know it's a romantic comedy, right, Mama? <laughs> and you know these are rich white people's living. They <laughs> they're like, yeah. I also said if she took the blame, she would have this thing would have been in litigation. She would have died while this thing was still in litigation. As I say, as Shirley MacLaine like gets ready for her 90th birthday. Um, <laughs> but she, but like you know the character being as sickly and having the heart problems and everything. I'm sure from her in her mind, she was like, I'll tie this thing up, you know. <laughs> and also, they'll never be able to actually pin it to me anyway because. It's, I wasn't there, so I wasn't there. So, so the let me see that evidence you got. <laughs> um, fingerprints? But I mean, her, com- her confession is big evidence. Isn't it? Yeah, but she wasn't sworn in, Mama. <laughs> okay. Her lawyer's going to get that thrown out. <laughs> is that what I said? You know me. Just talking, just talking crazy. Oop, now you got me saying it. You know me, just throwing out random, random things. I was just, you know... I don't know. I'd taken some pills before. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know you're right. Everybody confesses. And then finally the cop is pulls out the actual uh, check and is like, this is the only reason I'm here. Why is this check? 
there and we already have the killer and you know and so then the big reveal is that the killer is the blonde woman that Steve DeCunzo dated right after um, Connie. Did you clock the moment when Connie's going to the hotel that night? Did you see her come out? No, she was there. She's there. The, when when the scene starts, Connie's walking up. Connie's on the top level walking up to Steve's room. She's come, She comes out of the door on the bottom level and she's in a trench coat. But she's clearly, it's her. She's walking out at the exact same time that Connie's walking in his I room. I watched it twice and I didn't clock that. Yeah, it, that, that's the moment now, that she no, is... Well, now I'm going to watch that part again because I have to see that. That's crazy. That's yeah, a good moment. So did you... Well, I don't know. You've probably seen this movie a bunch of times, so you don't remember who you originally thought it was but um i think i probably thought it no i probably thought it was shirley mcclain just so you know when you do watch it it happens at the uh minute and 26 minute 26 is when the moment happens but she's coming but she's leaving at the exact same time that um that patricia slash connie is arriving and um, and then Dave said, as the you know as they're carrying the car away, Dave was like, "Oh, I hope the Winterborns get her a good lawyer." And then at that moment, Connie says, "I want to get her a good lawyer. One of yeah. those, yeah, I did it, but can you blame me? Kind of defenses." And <laughs> Which it's like, is great. Give it to him, girl. Give him that pulp. I love it. Very like <laughs> it was very that's very like noir line, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, this movie has those moments, so I think it's the whodunit part of the movie that feels mm-hmm. uh, very like Barbara Stanwyck, you know. Oh yeah, um, it's great, and you love it because good. you're you're constantly well, you think you know, but girl, you don't. You, you have, have no idea. Yeah. This is a this story is the diary of Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say. Oh, diary. I was going with the um, real world. This is a story of no, five people was... picked to live in a house. Also, that... do you know what? I'm sorry. I'm all that was the tagline from Diary. I think you know, but you have no idea. Yeah. Exactly. No, but the real world started with this is the story of yeah. five people. Okay. Um, and then she, yeah, and they get married. And at, at the wedding, she corrects the, the priest when he attempts to call her Patricia. And she says, no, no, no. Let's put that to bed. I'm Connie, baby. I'm Connie, Mrs. Winterborn, if you're nasty. <laughs> and he, Bill presents her with a ring, exactly like his dead brother presented his wife with, that has Bill and Connie inside of it. And that's a very sweet moment. I don't love the name Connie, but I do really do like the, the name. Uh, but I do really like the name Constance. I think anyway, Constance shout out really to beautiful. all of our fans called Connie. By the love way, all the Connies out there. Brandon loves but, um, you. But I love the name Constance. I actually think Constance is a really beautiful name. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's like. I don't know. If you're going to put a name in a ring, put put Constance in there. Put like her mm. full actual name. Don't well, put a if nickname you have to pay by letter, you know. Yeah, the Winterborns are really hurting <laughs> for it. Um, so, yeah. So, Jane, we've come yes. to the end. Um, yes, I have did. a question. Would you watch Mrs. Winterborn again? You know what, Brandon? I absolutely would. And it was, it was so good. And it was, I had so much fun with it. And I know I've like, pulled it apart because that's what we do on this podcast but you're a small person but yeah (laughs) it's all such a fun ride there is no useless scene there is no every scene has some action and sucks you in and everyone's delightful and i particularly thought brendan fraser was really good i just i think he's very charming and i like him and he's really good and he has this thing that he does where he's sort of discerning and like Mm -hmm. sussing out a situation and he does it all with his eyes and, and it's, it's and like incis- i love his i love his voice
voice. He's got a yes. very distinct voice. And I no, Brendan Fraser is a he's a good actor. He does a, yeah. he does a really good job in this movie and he brings you know, the heat. a lot of other stuff. He does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, they make and a lovely they make a lovely couple as well. They do. They're you really believe adorable. them? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I loved. I we didn't talk about this, but I loved the really uh, one of the cutest like rom com moments to me was like after they have their first kiss and he's all befuddled and he keeps leaving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. like stopping to kiss her, and he you know exits from different parts of the room and comes back and just does, you know gives her a kiss every time he walks by her. And to me, that was just like so cute and so romantic and like befuddled and charming. So it's really I love cute. that. I mean, this checks all of the boxes for me as, you know, I, I, I said in the beginning. So I loved it. Yeah, it's a wonderful movie. All right. We had a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking about this movie with you. And uh, I, I was curious if you maybe had a movie that you wanted oh! <laughs> me to watch. Were you? Were you cured? Well, I... So I texted your I'm husband. contractually obligated to say that, by the way. Okay. Well, I texted your husband earlier today because I am not sure if you've seen this movie. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> because I don't, wanted... <laughs> don't communicate with my man ever directly, just so we're clear. How dare you? How dare you? Mine. Um... So I wasn't because I wanted to know if you'd seen this movie and I wasn't 100 percent sure. And Did I'm he know? Not, he he thinks you have not seen it. He is. Okay. He's he's not certain, but he's pretty sure you haven't. Going to be and like so Deep Throat or something. I was 70s. like, I'm going to take the risk. <laughs> this is the 2001 epic blockbuster Josie and the Pussycats. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, thank God! <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. I, I know, I know. Um, it is. Don't tell me. It is Rachel Lee. It's Rachel Lee Cook, mm-hmm. um, and it is Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm. And that's all I know. And Josie and the Pussycats is a cartoon, right? It's like a cartoon yeah, based, based on an Archie Comics cartoon. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they're part of the Archie Comics universe. Um, okay, cool. That sounds like that'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be. I, to be honest with you, I don't remember this movie very well. So this is going to be an interesting ride for both of us. Was this during your, like, your big ketamine phase where you were just yeah this is when I was in a K-hole almost constantly nice um, yeah this movie came out when I was um, a young teenager and I could not get enough of that special K oh this was so. during that riot, those riot girl years this is that <laughs> raven I feel you I said those are two very different things <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> anyway so I'm excited I can't wait to see what you think and thank you everybody for sticking around and listening to us ramble on about Mrs. Winterborn. We hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. I was actually, I was going to do like a tagline, but then I didn't. I got scared. What were you going to do? I was, I was going to say, and you know, guys, once again, these are, you know, thank you for joining us on this ride with the movies we love and the movies we hate, but always the movies we missed. And then I was just going to take that line from the thing. But then I got scared. Uh, and I was like, oh, And then I was just like, bang. <laughs> well, you can work that in sometimes. Well, sometimes whatever, it's like, fine. When you're feeling confident, you know? We'll see.
Mari Povich, you are not the number one host of daytime television.